Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And I pray that uh, God speaks to you as I share with you about intercession, because God needs intercessions, intercessors. He needs you to rise up as an intercessor. And last time we saw that an intercessor is first of all a friend of God. He is someone who knows his covenant with God, who has developed intimacy with God, who is face to face with God, who seeks God's face. And God now begins to share with you his burden, what he wants you to pray for. And then you take that burden upon yourself and you you carry that burden. You identify with the people you are praying for and you carry them into God's presence and you release the Spirit of God upon them as you pray. And so intercession requires a commitment to carry the burden of the Lord and then to bring it to birth. And intercessors make a, make a huge difference. It's not a casual thing. It is a commitment to to be, to bring God's will to pass on the earth. Let God reveal his heart to you and then pray it into action on the earth. And we saw last time that Abraham was the first intercessor. He interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah and he interceded for the righteous that were in that city. And he stood in the gap and used his relationship with the Lord. He took the burden of Lot on his heart and he released mercy for Lot, releasing the angels to save Lot out of the judgment. The intercessor is vital. God needs the intercessors. Isaiah 59 verse 15, it says, Truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. That describes a land that's in sin, and that describes us somewhat today. Then the Lord saw it and was displeased, and it displeased him that there was no justice in the land. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. So he's, he's saying not only are the conditions in the land bad, but things have got really bad now because there isn't even an intercessor. You see, while there is an intercessor, there's hope that they, he can release God's mercy on the land. But when things get really bad, there isn't even an intercessor who can turn things around. That's how important intercessors are. And when a nation has gone too far, there's not even an intercessor present who can stand before God like Abraham. And I, Ezekiel 22, 29 shows this. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they've wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now notice this, it's, here is a nation, and it, like a city, it's surrounded by a defensive wall. And so while the wall is intact, it, it's safe, it's, it's protected. But the sin of a nation causes that wall to be broken down, and there's a breach in that wall. And through that breach can come the curse, can come judgment. And that was the state of Israel because of their sin. And God said, I need a man. And I sought for a man who could make a wall and stand in the gap. Somebody who will stand in the gap and be part of that defense and stop the curse and stop the judgment coming. And this is an intercessor who stands in the gap between God 
and between the curse and that land that is now defenseless. And that intercessor stands before God and says, God, do not judge and pleads for God to show mercy. And God needs someone to step up because if God has not got an intercessor, he is obliged to judge and the full curse and the full judgment is then released on the land. But if he can find an intercessor, then the intercessor uses his authority and represents that nation and brings it before God and is able to plead for mercy upon that land. And so we come before God as intercessors and we say, Lord, this land deserves your judgment. It deserves to be under the curse. But I identify myself with my land, with my people. And I plead for you to show mercy, Lord, give us another opportunity. Give us mercy, pour out your spirit upon this land. And as we do so as intercessors, God delights to hear that prayer. And it gives him the legal basis for him to pour out mercy rather than judgment. And he says, in this case, I found none. I looked for a man, but I, I couldn't find one. Therefore, he says, I've poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I've recompensed their deeds on their own heads. And because he couldn't find a, a man to intercede, judgment was necessary. And because we haven't been interceding for our nation, there have been walls, uh, breaches in the walls of our nation, and we have come under spirits of darkness in our nation. And it's time for the intercessors to rise up and to stand in the gap and bring God's mercy on our nation that we may rise up again. It's necessary. Praise God. Now, we're going to see one of the greatest intercessors ever, which is Moses. And uh, there are a number of great stories of the intercession of Moses. And in Exodus 17 is the first. And is very applicable to us. And it's a story in verse 8, it talks about Amalek, which is the enemy of God. Amalek fights with Israel at Rephidim. Now Moses is, receives the battle plan from the Lord, and here it describes how the Lord gives us the victory. In fact, this is the very story where the revelation of Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our victory, is revealed. In other words, God named this battle in such a way to say this story gives the key to how we win the victory against the enemies. And the enemies we fight with now are not flesh and blood, but they are principalities and powers. And so this describes the situation. Rephidim is the location where Amalek attacks. And this is a picture of the, the principalities and powers. Moses says to Joshua, choose us some men to go out, to, and, go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now, Moses is going to play the role of the intercessor. Joshua is the one who's out there fighting, you know, preaching the gospel, doing the works of the Lord. But also behind the scenes is the ministry of the intercessor. Moses gets on the top of the hill. We have to take our position of authority uh, in the heavenly places in Christ. And we, what Moses did is take the rod of God, and that corresponds to our authority, that corresponds to the name of Jesus, and he was to lift it up to heaven. And Joshua fought the battle meanwhile, and Moses 
Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now isn't that interesting? You see, if we do not intercede, if we do not call on the name of the Lord, if we do not release the power of the Spirit into these situations, into the work of the evangelists and everything else, then the powers of darkness prevail. If we do not pray for our leaders and our nation, then automatically the powers of darkness will prevail. But if we call on the name of the Lord in intercession and hold up the name of the Lord, what happens? We release the power of the Spirit and God's kingdom prevails. Joshua prevailed against the enemies because the power of the Lord is stronger. But God needs us to release that power through intercession. And so God gave us the key principle here, the necessity of the intercessors. And Moses' hands became heavy. It shouldn't depend on one person alone. We need a whole team of intercessors because his hands got heavy and so they got him to sit down and they supported his hands. Aaron and Hur lifted up his hands on either side and his hands were steady till the going down of the sun and as a result they defeated Amalek. And then God said, write this down as a memorial because this is a lesson I want to be remembered forever that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, God has the victory over the enemy. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, the Lord Jehovah Nisi, that is, the Lord is my victory, or my banner of victory. For the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation from generation. In other words, there is an ongoing spiritual warfare. The principalities and powers won't go away, not until Jesus returns. But we can have victory, but we have to hold up the name of the Lord. We have to hold the Lord's name up as the banner. We have to intercede and declare the victory from that place of authority on that mountaintop. And that is necessary. So intercession ha happens between us and God in the secret place. And that releases the power. And then it has to be acted out. It has to be lived out. But the victory is actually won in that place of intercession. Then when you go, then the Lord may show you what to do in, in, actual, in your daily life. But you're living out what God's already shown you in that place of intercession. So the victory is won in that inter place of intercession. Had Moses not interceded, had he let down his arm out of weariness, Joshua would have lost the battle and many people would have been destroyed. The next example is in Exodus 32, verse 7, a classic one. Moses is up Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, and suddenly the Lord says to Moses, get, Go, get down, for your people, whom you've, you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made themselves a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I and the Lord said, I have seen this people, and it, it is indeed a stiff-necked people. God is angry at this idolatry, at this sin. And, and I want you to notice that he immediately says, he, he disowns them almost. He says, they're not my people. Moses, they're your people. You took them out of Egypt. <laughs> it's almost like saying, I, I'm disowning them. And watch this in verse 10. He says, now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. 
interesting what he says there. He says, Moses, step aside, get out of my way, because I am going to destroy them. And we have to take God seriously here. He's not just playing with words here. God really would have destroyed Moses, uh, sorry, Israel at this point. He was, he was so angry. But he, at the same time, he wanted to show mercy. His justice was demanding that he pours out his wrath upon them. But he hints to Moses by saying, let me alone. In other words, I can't do it if you don't let me alone. If you stand between me and the people, I won't be able to judge them. So therefore, Moses, get out the way, get out my way, because I want to judge them. But he was actually inviting Moses to take that place of intercession. And notice what he makes Moses, um, he says, I will make of you a great nation. He says, actually, I'll still fulfill my covenant with Abraham because Abraham you're a son of Abraham, Moses, and I'll start again with you, and I'll make you a great nation. What a great offer that would have been for Moses. But Moses wasn't concerned with his own glory. He was concerned for his people, and he was concerned for the glory of God. And so Moses took the hint, as it were, and he said, no, I won't let you alone, God. I'm going to stand before you. I'm not going to let you judge them. I'm going to plead for my people. I'm going to fight for them as if I was fighting for myself. And notice he says here, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out the land of Egypt? Notice God was saying, that's your people, Moses. You know, like two parents upset with their child. Do you know what your boy did? She says. And then he says, your boy, you know. They didn't want to own him. And so Moses say, no, you, you are not going to disown them. They are your people, God. You took them out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them on the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I've spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they will inherit it forever. So notice Moses stands before God. He pleads the covenant and he says he's concerned for the reputation of God because if, if that happened, he says, what will the Egyptians think? They'll think you're evil. They'll think you're no, you've got no power, God, that you let such a thing happen to your people. And so he is concerned for the reputation of God, the name of God, the glory of God. When we intercede, we're first of all motivated by the glory of God. We want God to be glorified on the earth. And if, and if destruction come on this nation, that would not be to the glory of God. That's his first concern. And so he stands in the gap and he pleads that God shows mercy and forgiveness and blesses Israel again. And he will not let God do it. And it says that as a result, verse 14, God relented or repented from the harm he said he would do to his people. God really would have judged them. But Moses' intercession changed God's mind. He changed God's verdict from justice to mercy. God would have been true to himself to judge them. But his higher will was to show them mercy. But he couldn't do that if he didn't have an intercessor. If Moses stood back and said, okay, God, get on with it. Do you know, God couldn't have shown them mercy. That's what the scripture clearly teaches here. 
God needs that intercessor to stand in the gap and plead with God for the mercy and blessing to be released. And God delights when the intercessor does that. He looks for such a person who will do that. God wants us to influence him in the direction of his highest will, which is to show mercy. And Moses here actually saved the nation. There's a commentary on this in uh, actually Psalm, Psalm 106, um, verse 19. It says, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image, molded image, and they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Saviour, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Now watch this. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, stood in the gap, stood in the breach before him, the breach caused by their sin, by their idolatry, meant that judgment was going to fall down. They were like a city that had been breached. They were under destruction. And if Moses had not stood in that breach, it says, to turn away God's wrath, it says, lest he destroy them. He would have destroyed them. And God is calling you, though we deserve judgment as a nation, we deserve to be under the curse because of sin, because of all the abortions and nameless evils that take place and wrong laws, yet we are to stand in the gap and we are to plead with God to show us mercy and raise up leaders that will be good for this land. Even though we don't deserve it, yet the intercessors can change the course of our nation. I want you to know that Moses had a supernatural burden for his people. In verse 30 it says, It came to pass on the next day, Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin. See, Moses had gone down and, and seen it for himself, and he's so distressed, he realizes that judgment must surely be hovering over them. Even now, he says, he says, I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, please do. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Now, that's a supernatural burden, isn't it? Moses was, had such a burden for his people. He identified with them so much that he took them upon his own heart so much that he was be willing to take the judgment on himself and be blotted out of the book of life if only his people would be saved. Now, that is not natural. That is supernatural. That is that burden, that burden of compassion, that burden of identification that causes the intercessor to stand in the gap and fight for, for, for the people he's praying for. And Paul had a similar burden, didn't he, in Romans 9. He says, I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. That is the intercessor carrying the burden of his people Israel. For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. In other words, Paul says, such is the burden I have for the salvation of my people that I would even be willing to go to hell. I can't uh, even relate to that. But that is the supernatural burden that the intercessor carries that causes him to stand before God and plead for mercy. And if God may put somebody who's lost on your heart in, in a, 
in a, in a strong way that you really begin to plead and cry out for God to, to have mercy upon them, to send laborers across their path to save them, then you're beginning to taste a little bit of what it's like to be an intercessor. And there is a, a sacrifice for that. You see, Moses is just a picture of Christ. Christ is the ultimate intercessor because what did Christ do? We were under the judgment of God. And it says in Isaiah 53, he made intercession for the transgressors. And Jesus, he became a man to identify with us, to connect with us. And he carried us to the cross in his heart. He carried you and me in his heart. He became our intercessor on the cross. And he stepped in between us and God. And we were under the judgment of God. And as our intercessor, he stepped in and he took us the burden of our sin. And he took the burden on himself. He kept, bore our sins and iniquities. And he took the punishment that was due to us. He stood between us and the judgment of God. And he bore it for us as our intercession, as our intercessor. And as a result of that, he released upon us all the blessings and the grace of God. We didn't deserve it, but through his relationship with God, he brought us, he set us free from the power of darkness and he brought us into all the blessings of God. And that's Jesus' ministry of intercession. There's one more in, from the life of Moses in Numbers 14, verse 11. It says, all the congregation uh, wanted to, st said to stone them with stones. They were going to stone Moses and the leaders. And now God is angry with them for this rebellion. It says, the glory of the God appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs I've performed among them, I'll strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Same thing again, same offer. And Moses said to the Lord, and you'd have thought, if somebody had just tried to kill you, would you then want to make intercession for them? It would be tempting just to say, okay, God, get on with it. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought up these people from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. And they, they have heard that you, Lord, are among those people, and that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Now if you will kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore he killed them in the, in the wilderness. Notice he's concerned for God's name, his reputation, his glory, that God is too weak to actually bring these people out into the promised land if they were to be destroyed. And so that's his heart beats for the glory of God. He wants the will of God to be done on the earth. He wants the glory of God to be done. And so he says, now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great. Just as you've spoken saying, the Lord is long suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty. In other words, you are a God of justice, but Lord, you're also, you forgive. And he pleads for mercy. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you, you have forgiven this people from Egypt even till now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Moses' prayer was for the glory of God, and God says, I've heard your prayer. I will glorify my name, and I will pardon this people. So again, Moses stands in the gap. 
And there's one more story of Moses in Numbers 16, verse 41. It says, On the next day all the congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You've killed the people of the Lord. Sorry, this is the situation after the Korah's judgment. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned towards the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly a cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. In other words, get out of the way Moses because I'm going to judge them. But Moses, if you stand in the gap, I won't be able to judge them. And, he, and they fell on their faces in intercession. And then the Lord showed Moses what he needed to do. And he told Aaron to take a censer and put fire in it from the altar and put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them for wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. So a plague already started spreading among the people and Aaron had to go to the altar with the coals of fire which had the blood on it and the incense that was put on there went up as a white white smoke and that's a picture of our prayers that come from our burning hearts and the blood of Jesus is is the basis of our prayers and our prayers go up like incense before the Lord and when Aaron risked his life and he took and he went between the living and the dead and he made atonement and his prayers of intercession rose before God that he stopped the plague Aaron now redeemed himself because he was willing to risk his life in the face of this contagious plague. It says, Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran in the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living and so the plague was stopped. And so there's a plague of sin and darkness. The intercessor needs to risked his life as it were, stand in that gap and stop that plague and call upon God for God's mercy to come down and his intercession rises to God as sweet incense from a burning heart pleading the blood of Jesus, pleading the mercy of God upon the people who deserve judgment and even so 14,000 were killed by this plague but Aaron stopped that plague by his intercession pleading the blood of Jesus and offering up that cloud of incense to God. You can make a difference. You can be that intercessor. Success of our Christian life is based on prayer, our prayer life. And in this series uh, of eight CDs, I go through, basing it on the Lord's Prayer, all the different principles of prayer and the different kinds of prayer that, that you need to understand about. In fact, it's not just one series of eight CDs, but we have Principles of Prayer Part 2, and Principles of Prayer Part 3, and Principles of Prayer Part 4. So actually there's uh, 32 CDs altogether that take you all through the subject of prayer. And uh, if you order one, it's normally £20, but if you order two, each one after that is only £10. So we give you a discount if you want to take on the whole series. So get built up in the area of prayer. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086